Well, let's uh, pause for a moment and pray, prepare our hearts to hear from God's word this morning. The message this morning called the Holy Spirit and Christmas. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word, Lord, that we are not left to imagine what you said, but that you said it and it was recorded for us and now we can hold tightly to it. So we thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that it's like a solid foundation. It doesn't change. It stays the same. So even as we come to another Christmas, we come back to the story again, Lord. We know that your word is also, it's living and active, and we need to open up and learn from it even more. So open up our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the midst of getting ready for Christmas, there's usually a lot of messages, devotionals, sermons, TV shows, uh, podcasts, uh, all in preparation for the Christmas season. And we often fail to notice someone's role during this season. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. We've been studying the book of Acts for months and months, and we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I thought, well, let's at least approach Advent this morning from that view, from that lens that we've been using. If you think about uh, guests or, or events, um, maybe you had an event at your home this week called Thanksgiving, or maybe you went to someone's house. If you went to someone's house um, and you were the guest, and when you came to the house, no one greeted you. No one gave you a seat at the table. No one asked you if you wanted gravy on your mashed potatoes. But they just assumed you were there and assumed you'd take care of yourself and really paid attention to everybody else. You might feel a little slighted. You might feel like, wow, you know, nobody even talked to me. Nobody even spent any time, like, conversing with me, asking me, you know, what I liked for dessert. You know, they they took care of everybody else. Well, I think the Holy Spirit is kind of that kind of guest at Christmas time, and we don't want him to be. We know that God gave us his precious Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God himself who lives within us, and we have this whole study that we've been doing on the book of Acts because of Pentecost, because God gave the Spirit now to the church, and now we live as spiritual beings. We live in this world, uh, yes, we're, we're flesh and blood, but we're also now alive by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit doesn't want to be ignored. The Holy Spirit's an interesting character, which we'll learn about in a moment. As a a member of the Trinity, he doesn't draw attention to himself, but he's very active and very powerful. So we're going to see that this morning in this message. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus. It always will be. And of course, there's nothing wrong with us focusing on the fact that God has now come. He has come in the flesh. He's entered the world in this baby named Jesus, God's very own son. And in all the excitement, we can sometimes overlook the role of the Father God as well as the Spirit God himself. But if we pay special attention to the biblical record, to the verses that have been recorded for us, we will see that the Holy Spirit's role in Christmas is essential. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives is also essential. Let's not forget, 
the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting. He's mentioned in the narrative of John the Baptist before he even appears in the birth narrative of Jesus. So if you turn with me to the passage this morning, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. If you use the Pew Bible there, it's page 1012. Luke chapter 1 and 2, we have the record of the role, the role of the Spirit in Christmas. And I've been a Christian a long time. I've been to lots of Christmas services, probably 58 or so. Some of you have been alive longer than me. And I don't remember ever studying the role of the Holy Spirit in Christmas. It's always about Jesus and the wise men and Mary and, 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 and Zechariah and Elizabeth and a lot of other people. But what, what, what about the Holy Spirit of God himself? So this morning we're going to correct that. We're going to look at this together and see that he's here. In fact, I was looking at the first couple chapters of Luke, the first four chapters, and the first four chapters of the book of Acts. Just for fun. I do fun things like that in my spare time. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned 12 times in the first four chapters of Luke. How many times do you think the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the first four chapters of Acts? Not 12. 11. Right? Now, we think of the book of Acts, especially the first few chapters because of Pentecost. You think, wow, the Holy Spirit must be mentioned 100 times in those four chapters. Nope. 11 times. And yet our focus for the book of Acts is all about the Spirit and the role of the Spirit and, and the gift of the Spirit and all these things that happen. But what about here in the narrative of the birth of our Savior? Twelve times in these first four chapters. So it's an interesting fact that, that really made me want to dig in and, and understand what God is saying to us in the record of his word. So the first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned is in the birth narrative of John the Baptist. The angel who appeared to John the Baptist's father, whose name was Zechariah, in the temple told him that, he, that his wife Elizabeth would have a son. And then if you look in verse 15, we'll see the first mention here of the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the angel is now speaking to Zechariah, and he's talking to him, and he says, in verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's talking about John. He, your son, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink because he's a, a, a Nazarene. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Now, that is a very special thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from your birth, from the moment you are born. So John is a very special person in the story. But the Holy Spirit is mentioned there the first time. Then when Elizabeth, his mother, was six months into her pregnancy, when the already pregnant Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit her, remember that, that story? At the moment of their meeting, the Spirit shows up. Look at verse 41. Of, of the same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we miss that? Filled with the Holy Spirit. From the moment she heard Mary's voice. 
Now, Luke doesn't say explicitly to us, but it's hard for us to imagine that the Holy Spirit wasn't the one that was making the baby jump, right? Because now the Holy Spirit that is in this child, John, who hasn't even been born yet, is recognizing the Holy Spirit on Mary, who's coming to visit Elizabeth. I mean, he's all over the place. Then there's another reference to the Spirit being evident in this prelude to Jesus' birth. So he hasn't even been born yet. When John was born and Zechariah, his speech has been restored. Remember when Zechariah doubts, God says, well, then you're going to stay quiet through the whole pregnancy. And then your, his speech has now been restored. So you'll have to read through that if you're not familiar with that part of the story. But Luke tells us in, in verse 67. So this is, a long, this is a long chapter, isn't it? Luke chapter 1. In verse 67, when his speech has been restored, it says his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John is filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. John's mother was filled with the Holy Spirit when she met Jesus' mother. And now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And even though the bulk of his prophecy is concerned with the unique role of his own son, John the Baptist, it's ultimately focused on the fact that the Messiah is coming, the one who will save God's people from their sin. It says in verse 76, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Just love that. The tender mercy of our God. So he's talking about what John's role will be, but he's also leading it to the fact that salvation will come through Jesus Christ. And so besides what the Holy Spirit is doing sort of concurrently in the lives of Mary and Joseph in preparation for Jesus' birth, the Holy Spirit is also actively working all around in other people's lives to make sure that the birth of Jesus was understood for what it really was going to be, the Messiah, the Savior being born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit was the one making sure that every player was on the right base and everybody knew their instructions and what God was doing. The fact that God wants us to know why Jesus came for the salvation of the world is very important for us to understand at Christmas time. It isn't just about the birth, it isn't just about the angels, it isn't about the wise men or the shepherds. It's about salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And God wants us to know that. And we, as God's people, should want the world to know that as well. As Luke points us finally to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the promise of the child that she will bear, we're brought face to face with the Holy Spirit himself and the role that he will take in the incarnation. Now, incarnation is a big word, and we don't use it very often. It basically means God taking on a human flesh, the human body as Jesus Christ. That's what incarnation means. God becoming man and living, dwelling among us. 
So when angel Gabriel appears to Mary in Nazareth to announce to her that, the, that, that she would have this son and that this son's unique position would be as savior of the world, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. When Mary hears this news, quite understandably, she asks, how is this possible? For I am a virgin. Look at verse 34. How is this possible? So the angel replies to her and responds to her so that she can understand what's going on. He says to her, after she asks this question, how can this happen? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then reminds her of Elizabeth, who is also having a child. So we have to understand that the role of the Holy Spirit is key to the fact that Jesus was even born. In fact, this is why we call it the Immaculate Conception, right? God conceived a child with Mary. Hard for us to grasp. But what Gabriel said to Mary, he then had to repeat to Joseph because it was even harder for Joseph to grasp. You see, Joseph needed to be calm from his worst fears because he had now learned that his wife-to-be was expecting. And it wasn't his child. He knew that for a fact. So in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, we hear what the angel says to Joseph. The angel told him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. And here's the key. Because he will save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will save his people. So even with all of these quiet, personal, but hugely significant interactions or interventions by the Holy Spirit in the events leading up to Jesus' life, Luke continues to mention the Spirit's role even after Jesus is born. It happens when Mary and Joseph took their newborn son into Jerusalem for the purification rites which are demanded by the laws of Moses for all Jewish people. And although the young couple went up to the temple with no expectation of being acknowledged in any special way, a stranger approaches them. And the stranger took a very special interest in their baby. Now, in these days, we'd be freaked out, but they were not. Taking the child in his arms, so we're in, we're in Luke 2 still. We haven't finished what Luke is telling us. We're in Luke 2, verse 29, taking, verse 28, actually. Taking the child in his arms, he burst into spontaneous praise to God that made extraordinary claims about this little baby that he was cradling. And although Mary and Joseph must have t- been taken aback by this encounter with this stranger, the prophetic sounding words that he spoke, Luke tells us what is behind it all. So let's read about this encounter. 
on the eighth day, when it was time for, to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name that the angel had given him before he was even conceived. And when the time for purification, according to the laws of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So now there was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Remember those words that also used to describe Cornelius who we read about last week. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Messiah. Now moved by the Spirit, again, the Spirit's getting mentioned a lot here, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was a custom, according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Again, the worldwide vision of God to reach the world is even mentioned here at this strange encounter in the temple. Notice he was moved by the Spirit. The Spirit had told him and revealed to him things about his own personal life. He said, you're not going to die before you actually see the salvation that is coming through the Messiah. So in each of these events, the Holy Spirit acted in a way that showed that he's actually contented in being in the background as long as he can organize things. In every way, the words spoken by Elizabeth, the words spoken by Zechariah, even by Simeon, were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And their focus was on Christ, as they should be, the promised Messiah and the salvation that Christ would bring. So as Mary was becoming increasingly conscious of this tiny bundle of joy that was growing in her womb, the Holy Spirit was delighted for her to focus on the unborn Christ, and not so much on the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, as the one who had actually brought about this great miracle of joining God with man in her womb. We don't talk about that much, but that's what actually took place. That's what the Holy Spirit did at Christmas. In all of these encounters, the Holy Spirit's actions are consistent with the way that he always works. Although he is co-eternal and co-equal as part of the Trinity, of one of the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, he has always enjoyed the mutual, unique communion that they have that exists between them. It is his pleasure to draw the attention of all creation to the one who brings us salvation. This also teaches us something about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. 
as we should not try to draw attention to ourselves. He wants to bring the attention to God, Christ, the Messiah, the salvation bringer, the one who brings salvation to the world. This is where churches can get confused. This is where individuals can get confused. The Spirit is a powerful being, right? The Spirit is God himself. But his focus is on Christ and bringing Christ to the world. Making sure that people heard the word of God and understood how it applied to the world and to the situation that they're in, their own sin. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is actually the one active in convicting us of our sin, helping us to see that, oh, I need a Savior. What am I going to do? I need a Savior. Oh, Holy Spirit has an idea. How about Christ? How about Jesus? He is the one and only Savior of the world. He is the one who died for your sins. So the role of the Spirit is always to bring about the glorification or the lifting up of Jesus. This should be true in our lives. As the Holy Spirit works within us, we should continually be lifting up Jesus. The glory of Jesus, the fact that he died for us in our place and brought forgiveness for all of our sins and gives us eternal life. That inspiration needs to come through the one who brought it all about. Without the Holy Spirit, Christ would not have been born. Think about it. We don't often take a moment to slow down and think about that. The Holy Spirit is God. The plan of God was to bring salvation. And he did it through Jesus, yes. Jesus who came to die for us, to live life here among us. And as we talked about last week, who even at his own baptism received the power of the Spirit so that he could go about doing good and preaching the gospel and healing people. So Jesus himself came into that relationship with the Spirit. As we've been being encouraged over these past several months to make sure you have the Spirit. Don't, Don't let him be that missing guest, that person you don't really pay attention to. We are to pay attention to him because he speaks to us. He uses the word of God to speak to us. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through other believers who are also in tune with the spirit. But when he speaks, his goal is the goal of God, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. We can't get distracted into other things. We have to be careful. The whole book, of the two books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul trying to redirect the church. Like, okay, yep, uh-huh, the Spirit's here and there's all kinds of gifts and abilities and stuff going on. However, I need you to remember something. And every week, when we make all that crinkly noise with our communion, every week we take the time to remember, remember Jesus died for you and for me. It's all about Jesus. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All in one. In some mysterious package, but all in one. And they work together to bring about salvation. Freedom from sin. Freedom from destruction. Freedom from all the things that sin wants to bring into our lives and Satan wants to bring into our lives. There's freedom, and it comes through God. And it comes through the message of the gospel. You see, Jesus realized that without the Holy Spirit, us, his followers, his disciples, would not be able to fulfill 
God's call on our lives. We can't be very good witnesses in this world if we don't have the power of the Spirit to help us to testify and to witness and to have something to testify about, which is our freedom from sin and our freedom from death and our freedom from fear and anxiety. If we don't experience the power of the Spirit, we have nothing to tell others about God's great help that he brought into our lives. The fact that he's our helper and our counselor and our intercessor and our strengthener and the one who reveals truth to us and the one who empowers us to live lives that glorify Christ. That's the role of the Spirit in the church today. I want you to turn with me to another gospel, the gospel of John. It's the last of the four. And John chapter 14, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. Because Jesus takes time to teach us about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants us to think about Jesus and about the salvation that Jesus brought and the forgiveness and the grace and all of that. But then Jesus turns and wants us to remember who the Holy Spirit is and remember the need for the Spirit and what the Spirit does. See, they complement each other. It's the perfect relationship, really, Father, Son, and Spirit. They all complement one another. They take the time to do that. So here's an instance where Jesus is doing this with his disciples. In John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, I will ask the Father, it says, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So another is because Jesus had been their counselor. Jesus had been with these disciples for three years. And he had been there to give them wisdom that can only come from God. Good wisdom. The counsel of God. Right? But he's going to ask the Father to give us another called the counselor. Right? Do you ever think of the Holy Spirit as your counselor? When you're feeling anxiety, when you're feeling stress, when you're feeling depression, go to the counselor, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Somehow, find yourself in God's presence, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through worship, whether that's through going to another believer and saying, please pray for me. I'm really struggling. I need the counsel of God. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The great thing about this counselor is you don't have to pay $200 an hour and only get like 50 minutes out of it, right? This counselor, it says in verse 16, will be with you forever. He's a 24-7, 365 counselor, right? When you wake up in the middle of the night, you can start your counseling. When you're driving through the, through the you know, crazy traffic, you can start your counseling. Counseling starts anytime you start it with the Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever. And here's the great thing. In verse 17 says, he's also called the spirit of truth. He's going to tell you the truth. Now, sometimes you don't want the truth. Because as they say, you can't handle the truth. But you need the truth. You need the truth. I need the truth. Scripture says in another place, the truth sets you free, actually. When you hear that truth, even if it's a hard truth, it helps you to know, I need to repent, Lord. I need to turn away from that. I need to get on the right track with you. Thank you for that hard truth because it made me take a hard left and go in the right direction again. So he's the spirit of truth. 
This passage goes on to say, now this is Jesus. He's, he's helping us to understand. He's, he's coming. The Father's going to send him to you. He's going to be a counselor who's with you 24-7. He's the spirit of truth. He'll never lie to you. He can't because he is God. He cannot lie. Now here's another interesting fact. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. He is invisible. He's the invisible guest, right? And sometimes... You're trying to explain spiritual things to non-spiritual people, people in the world, and they're just like, you are, what are you talking about? You have lost your mind, woman. You know, right? Like, no, 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 you don't understand because it's the spirit that is here explaining this to me, but the spirit isn't over there inside of you explaining it to you. And so we pray for those people. We pray that God would open up their eyes and help them to see so that they can know him. But the world cannot accept him because they don't know him and they don't see him. And here's the words of Jesus. But you know him. You know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So again, this is the disciples before Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit was with them. Remember the miracle of Pentecost is now the Holy Spirit is in them. Right? So something changed. Again, a little mysterious, but we love it. We love mysteries, right? We love it. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Trinity talk here. Trinity talk. The Spirit is Jesus. Jesus is the Father. The Father is the Spirit. I mean, it's all one. It's all one. Verse 19, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. <laughs> this, is, this is the amazing stuff, right? Like, what? How, how, how does that all work? By the Spirit. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. We see Jesus by the power of the Spirit. He shows himself to us and he shows the Father to us as well. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. For you are truly Father, Son, and Spirit. We don't want to ignore any part of that. We need you as our Heavenly Father. We need you as our Savior, Jesus. And we need you as our counselor, our, our friend, Holy Spirit. We need all of you. Help us to recognize that. Help us to repent from, from not realizing our need for you. And to open our lives up completely to who you are. According to your word, which never changes. Thank you for loving us enough to come and live with us and in us by the power of your spirit in jesus name